This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. Stand and Deliver! Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast episode 5. My name is Rodders and I'm a comedian and the promoter of the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club right up above Smoking Billy's in the centre of Reading. This podcast will let you have a metaphorical nose into the world of stand-up comedy and comedians. I will be chatting to people that have played my club and people I have met along the road uh, on my stand-up comedy journey. We have two guests on the podcast today. Ryan Mould, the owner and promoter of the comedy club at Rock the Attic in Banbury, is also a comic as well, and Olga Koch was uh, is on the podcast as well. I caught up with both of them in Banbury. Uh, why was I in Banbury? Well, um... I've been involved in some pretty silly things over the last couple of years, but this has got to be the maddest. Last night I got back from Banbury, uh, where they are doing the longest-running comedy show, Guinness World Record Attempt. Uh, It started at 6pm on Thursday the 29th of March, involves hundreds of comedians, and uh, I was there for two days, arrived on the uh, Thursday at uh, 10pm, and left on the Saturday afternoon. And uh, it was absolutely incredible. The way it worked, it was kind of like a rolling conveyor of constant comedy. There was no compare or MC, so acts had to introduce whoever was coming up next. Some acts are doing 15 minutes, some were doing whole hour-long shows, some were doing Edinburgh Fringe show previews, and uh, it was just absolutely mad. It felt like, if you've been to the Edinburgh Fringe, it felt like a mini Edinburgh Fringe festival, um, with uh, all the comedians hanging out together and helping each other write, uh, punters just being drunk all the time and it was just so exciting it's just such an amazing thing to be a part of uh i performed three times my first set was at about half past one in the morning on the friday morning uh and it was just mad i've never performed at that time of night and they were they they were pretty rowdy shall we say but they were just the right side of rowdy. They were silly rather than aggressive, so I, I had an awful lot of fun with it. And my next spot was at 6pm, and uh, and then my third spot was at 5 to 9 in the morning. That was probably the most difficult one to psych myself up for because I was shattered. Uh, the first night I, I stayed out till 5 in the morning watching and supporting. It seriously has given me a, a degree of jet lag. What's strange about, well, whenever you stay at ridiculously late, be it for an event or maybe you're catching a flight or something, is that it does get to a point where time loses all meaning. And there were no windows in the room we were performing in, but there was a big analogue clock. Uh, So you didn't know if it was AM or PM, you just had to sort of guess. But yet at the same time, each hour of the day had its own very specific vibe to it, the more uh, subdued um, uh, feeling of like the the five to nine spot i'm very glad they didn't put me on even earlier like i think the worst spot would have been around 6 a.m i mean that's ridiculous that is probably i wonder if statistically that is the least funny time where at least laughter is happening um in the entire of the uk now, as I sit in my bedroom in Reading recording this, it's about 10pm on the 1st of April. 
so the comedy show is still going on as we speak. The current record that they're aiming to beat is 80 hours, and so they have until 2am tomorrow morning. Um, uh, So at time of recording, I don't know if they've done it or not. Fingers crossed. I think they will. Uh, But what I'll do, after we've heard Ryan's interview, um, uh, we'll... I'll insert a bit tomorrow and uh, I'll, I'll let you know if they did it or not. How exciting. That's the great thing about podcasting. We can actually time travel. Right, let's hear from our first guest, Ryan Mould. He is the venue owner of Rock the Attic in Banbury. He's a comedian and he is the mad genius behind this Guinness World Record attempt for the world's longest running comedy show. And now please bear in mind when I interviewed him, he probably only had less than two hours sleep because it's an enormously stressful thing uh, running this sort of event. I run a comedy show about once a month. Uh, that is enough for my blood pressure to go through the roof but if you've ever organized anything like a, a, even if it's just a party for one of your friends you'll be constantly worrying is everyone having a good time but then put on on top of that the stress of oh is this comedian going to turn up having to deal with just stuff going wrong constantly and he said that even when he went home for a, for a short nap he wasn't able to leave his phone alone and he was just lying awake worrying uh, about the event But despite all that, he was good enough to take a few minutes away from the comedy show and sit out in the smoking area with me and uh, have a chat. So here he is, Ryan Mould. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. How many hours in are we? All right, so we started at six o'clock yesterday, did we? Yeah, yeah. It's Friday today still. It's still, yeah, still Friday for another 15 minutes. So we started at 6 p.m. yesterday. So we're a day and a bit in, nearly 28 hours. So we just say a day and a bit, yeah, because my abacus head isn't there at the moment. It's crazy. So a uh, couple more days to go. How are you feeling at the moment about it all? Um, oh, tired, sleep-deprived and very stressed. Fretting is probably a good word to describe it, which is sort of PC. Because <laughs> the, the tough thing is, like, for it to be a world record attempt, there's going to be 10 in the audience at any one time. And evenings, 10pm, 6pm, that's not too hard a thing to do. But when it gets to 4 in the morning, I see you doing the, doing the head count. That must be nerve-wracking, right? Yeah, we're frantically uh, keeping people hostage at the moment uh, just to make sure uh, there's 10 in the audience at all times. Uh, so we're relying on the, them being gracious enough to stay because if they don't they'll feel guilty and uh the, the record attempt has failed and it's all on their head exactly and it is all for charities for a, for the, the hospice yeah that's right yeah the catherine house hospice there's a local charity uh close to the community's heart so trying to raise enough money for them and also get a world record as well awesome so what made you come up with this bonkers idea because the it's been done once in america it's an american club that tried it what, what made you want to take them on well, it was nothing personal to, to them, actually. Um, it was just... Uh, so the current record is 80 hours, set in Tennessee uh, in 2015. And I just wanted to... Um, oh, what did I really want to do? So there's a lot of awards, a lot of Chortle Awards uh, for, like, Best Comedy Venue, Best Comedian, Best Small Comedy Club, etc. I thought I'd uh, go one better and have a Guinness World Record attached to the venue. That's the dream, but... Uh, well, we're not even halfway there yet. That would have been amazing. I, I think it's within within our reach. But whatever happens, at, to this point, it's, it must have raised a, a shed a load of money for charity. It must be doing all right in that respect. So whatever happens, this place is it's still a pretty heroic thing, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I would say we're about a thousand in now for the charity, which is pretty good, good going. So if we can keep going, I think two and a half grand is a, quite an achievable goal to give to the charity. Um, so just got to keep going and make sure that there's 10 people in the audience at all times. That's the seems to be the hardest part, sort of between six, seven, eight in the morning. We don't have that sort of second wave of people coming through the doors. So we're really reaching out to everyone at the moment and just to come and sit in here, watch some comedy, for God's sake, have a free bacon sandwich, some coffee and just enjoy themselves. We're both comics and we're both promoters. Uh, usually we, we book a regular night and to be honest, like me booking my monthly gig is stressful enough. What's been like the main challenges for trying to programme three days straight uh, of comedy? Because like, you've still had quality control. You've still got decent acts on despite having to get in... Literally hundreds of acts. What's been the most challenging bit? People cancelling at no notice. That's a real pain. Uh, so we have an hour, sh- an hour show today uh, that I got told they couldn't make it because they double booked the spot. So we, luckily enough, that we, it was fortunate they had comics in to fill and just get us through. And that's what we've been doing this whole time when, when a, a, a problem like that occurs. Just helping uh, the, the comics that are here jumping in doing a bit comics are already on performing doing a bit longer just really getting everyone involved really we're all in this together i think at the moment <laughs> running a gig and performing at a gig both blooming stressful doing twice at, do, doing them at the same time you jumped in around eight o'clock this morning to fill for a drop-in how was that was yeah. it around eight this morning or wasn't it um sometime wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, Don't, i won't ask for exact timelines it's not fair he's had two hours sleep i think it was more lunchtime we just had a guy that was um it was paul mccaffrey was running late and uh the next the comic was currently on he was finishing so um the show must go on as well as dido would say uh, i will go down with a ship so i thought i better jump in and do a bit and then matt bragg uh Fortunately, turned up to as a as to enjoy the comedy. Um, stepped in and done fifty minutes as well. So we, again, we got through that. It's just one hurdle after another, but we're getting through it. He's like Vanessa Feltz when um, Jeremy Vine goes off sick. Just hire him in; he'll be all right. <laughs> Won't upset too many people. Matt Bragg is a lot like Vanessa Feltz. Yes, <laughs> put that on a poster, someone that will sell tickets. Oh my god! So, how long have you been doing? <laughs> How long have you been doing stand-up then? Because like, did you start promoting the club before you started gigging? Uh, oh yeah, so we've been putting on shows here here for nearly three years now. Uh, Attic in Banbury, we've just opened another club in Bicester, so we've been running them for five months, and I've been gigging for probably a year and three months now. Um, real passion for comedy, and I thought I'd give it a go, and I'm still not very good at it, but. I'm trying. <laughs> I don't know. You got go, go all right reviews from the punters I spoke to after your uh, fill-in spot before McCaffrey. I thought, you know, does it give you a different perspective though? Because I, I find uh, my my attitude to performing has slightly changed since I've become a booker. Yeah, I wouldn't really want to perform at a venue that I book. I mean, I had to today, but I wouldn't. Just the added stress of running the show, making sure. In, the audience are enjoying themselves uh, as, a, as a promoter side of things as well as being a comic you need two different heads and it's a bit just extra extra worry and concern so I wouldn't normally do it or advise it really yeah no I totally agree with that because I, I, when I run my club I book myself only when there's dropouts and stuff hardly, like, hardly ever keep it for special occasions or emergencies but so many comics say oh you're an idiot you should do it for stage time but like I've, I've got your kind of attitude you've got to running the club is enough of a job in its own and like 
it's important, isn't it, for the long-term health of the club to have someone actually running it rather than worrying about what their jokes are going to be? Yeah, I think for the sort of uh, lineups that we put together here, they're really great pro lineups, and I wouldn't want to put myself on that level. Uh, I, I don't, don't feel that I've earned that spot to MC or have a 10-minute spot on that bill. I want to kind of get that spot on merit rather than just putting myself on it and then book a load of sort of comics with TV credentials and do it that way. I want to kind of, uh, yeah, earn it. And the big difference is with, with your night, you're not just a promoter coming in and being given or renting a room. You actually own the venue. Do you think that makes things better? I think it means you're at least more invested in it because it's your, it's your baby and it's your, your building. Yeah, the comedy side of things is actually sort of 25% of the business, really. It's like we just do a couple of gigs a month. It's a big passion of mine. But actually, from the business side of things, it's not really a, a big deal, really. It's sort of the bread and butter is a Friday, Saturday night at the bar. So what's, what's next to, for, for the attic? Can you see past this? I guess you can't see past the end of this, this world record attempt. No, no. Um, this morning, I felt like an injured animal and I wanted to be put out of my misery. Um, but now we've got through. Uh, yeah, I think the main goal is just to get through tonight, really, and just keep plodding away and there's going to be problems like there's a guy that's not turning up tonight for half an hour but Andrew Bird is kindly filling in he's on his way back from a gig somewhere so he's going to come over and and smash the hell out of a, of a packed room attic because like yeah but I think if you got a lot of people saying well if they got through Thursday and it was pretty busy I left at 5am still pretty busy if we can get through Thursday we'll get through Friday and Saturday I think fingers crossed anyway Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know what to say anymore. Just to sleep deprived. <laughs> right. We'll get through. Well, good. He's going to down copious amounts of tea and try to revive himself. And uh, fingers crossed, let's smash that world record right in the face. Yay. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. That was a very tired Ryan Mould. Now, the intro clip before that interview was recorded by me on the 1st of April while they were right in the midst of trying to smash that world record, the target being 80 hours. It is now the 3rd of April, so I can reveal they got to the 80-hour mark. And thanks to Matt Bragg and his Instagram, I can now play you that historic moment where they break the world record. Uh, but that wasn't enough. They didn't just want to break the world record. They wanted to smash it, pummel it, and uh, throw it in the bin. They carried on and they hit their target of 96 hours and ended on at uh, 6 p.m. on the 2nd of April. You absolute nutters. It was a wonderful thing to be a part of and uh, to contribute three of my sets to. In celebration, and just to give you a, a, a bit of a taste of the atmosphere, I'm going to play you a short clip from, from one of my sets. Uh, I was meant to go on at 2am on the Friday morning, but it's incredibly hard to uh, keep the timings of these shows tight um, because there's so much, so much going on, comics dropping out last minute, um, and I cannot describe the feeling you get when you're called up on stage early. Suddenly I got a, a tap on the shoulder and uh, someone with a clipboard 
than an earpiece, Harry it was, um, said, mate, you're on, go, and you're off. And that is the most exciting part of being a comedian right there, I think. That moment where you're called up onto stage because anything could happen at that point. All the possibilities are there in front of you just before you step on that stage and grab the microphone. This could be the best gig of your entire life. You could be going home a hero or you could be about to bomb in spectacular fashion and have to leave via the fire exit. Anything is possible at that moment. And uh, I can't, it's very hard to describe the rush you get when your heart, my heart was just absolutely pounding as as I busted through the curtain, walked down the aisle and got up onto stage. I mean, it's just so exhilarating. And, but what had happened, uh, because there was no compare um, and no intervals, if anything went wrong, then it all had to be addressed there and then when comedians were on the stage. And just before I got up onto stage, somebody dropped an entire tray of drinks. <laughs> and um, also Stuart Turner, the magician, had to take this as his um, opportunity to uh, set up all his props, which was also brilliant, but also like the only time he had no choice because he was on immediately after me. And uh, so, yeah, I got up onto stage. There was glass everywhere everywhere. Uh, Fiona the barmaid was frantically trying to clear everything up. I mean, she was a hero, to be honest, because there was an industrial amount of mess and broken glass on the floor and she just got on with it. I mean, I think I would have called the emergency services. (laughs) So that gives you a sense of the amount of anarchy that was going on. And that's before even I opened my mouth. Um, And so I I did get the sense I was just going to be ignored. So I did the only obvious thing uh, that came to my mind, which of course was improvise a play with the bastard off um and uh, they were good humored about it there was a full video of uh, that because it's quite a visual thing um it, audio won't work for it so if you just go to rodders.com r-h-o-d-d-e-r-s uh, or uh, my youtube channel there will be a clip up there and i thought i'd just play you um a clip of uh, me having some uh, argy-bargy with uh, some fairly good-natured drunks i mean they were drunk but i felt they were playful rather than aggressive and it was silly o'clock in the morning and these guys to be fair to them had been there for hours supporting the comedy show uh so good on them Uh, this happens quite a lot to to comedians especially if you've got quite a silly posh voice like mine you will just get people in the audience going and kind of mimicking you uh so this is how this clip starts and here is me having some argy bargy with some drunks is this room that badly constructed as an echo? <laughs> or is somebody so drunk? Do he hasn't reached this point of drunk where he doesn't know if he's just thinking to himself or it's coming up. In a minute he'll just say in a moment he'll just say, um we're there and say, oh I wonder what's for lunch. Did I leave the gas on? I've never heard something as innocent as did you leave the gas on? Yeah. I mean, I might do some swearing later, I'll let go! I mean, I thought Banbury was quite a tough place, but obviously not, you're... you're... I mean, it's back, it's probably going to turn it down, don't worry. <laughs> can, you, can you say that again, but with gaps between the words? <laughs> Ah, good old half past one in the morning. Right, let's get on with the podcast then, shall we? Also in Banbury was Olga Koch, who was doing an hour-long preview of her Edinburgh Fringe show, Olga Koch Fight. Uh, Jolly good it was too. Um, We talked about all sorts of things, including the the value of improv in comedy and uh, how that uh, the amazingly confident-sounding Olga hasn't always been that confident 
on stage. A rather interesting chat. Just to give you a bit of context, Olga was born in Russia and then uh, grew up in America. And I'll read you the first line of the blurb about her fringe show. In 2014, Olga's father got stopped by authorities on the Russian border, which resulted in the most surreal year in her family's life. I chatted to Olga outside in the rain uh, just as she came off stage. You can even hear the rain uh, tinkling on the tin roof of the smoking area. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. Hello, Olga. Hi. You all right? Well, you did my club twice. Ah, we're being savaged by a very small dog with a neckerchief. <laughs> Where, why are neckerchiefs and dogs so prolific? They don't need them. They look cool, though. Is it easier to identify your own dog? But they all have them, so it's probably great. not. It's it's one of those things that's like it's the dog doesn't have to have a personality anymore because it has the little thing. That was always unfair burden on them, wasn't it? I mean, have a personality. <laughs> but, uh, we're in Banbury. We're in the rain at the world's longest comedy gig record attempt. This has the feel of a, of a comedy club rather than a fringe. Yeah. So you're doing an Edinburgh hour in a club <laughs> environment, which is again interesting. Again. Yes, uh, I had no idea what the setup would be. Also, that's the reason I didn't bring my projector, because my projector would definitely make it more of a, like, a performance multimedia art show as opposed yeah. to a comedy show. So I think I went really joke-heavy and glossed over a lot of like historical events because I, I thought, okay, well, this person just walked in 20 minutes in, and he's going to leave in 10 minutes. He does not need to know who the third general secretary of the Congress yeah, party was. Yeah, and that's was. the way to play it. Because <laughs> there's no changeover. There's no compare. We're, this is running for three days straight mm-hmm. without a break, because there's no mm-hmm. time to set up. I had a... Stuart Turner, the magician, plugging in props all around me while I was doing my my set. Well, you played my club twice, once as a middle spot, and then you emceed it. Yes. And uh, jolly good fun it was too. Um, I absolutely loved it. It was great. It was fantastic. I got free food, which is incredible. Also, always uh, interesting to gig uh, anywhere outside of London. Yeah, I'd say. And uh, you weren't one of these London acts that asked me if their Oyster card would work (laughs) in Reading. But, like... Your whole style, because I knew you'd be good at emceeing just from the 10 spot, because it's a very chatty, very confident style. Did it start off as jokes and then became chatty, or did it start as chatty and then you put material in later when you first started? Ooh, I... So, okay, so first of all, just while we're still on the subject of Reading, I will say I absolutely am delighted to gig in Reading every time because my computer science material goes down, <laughs> yeah, like, no, central. million times better than anywhere else just because they're so excited to be like, oh, JavaScript! Uh, but in terms of chatting, I love chatting, but um, I started as, like, for, like when I started co- uh, stand-up comedy, I was just doing one-liners. So it was completely, like cold not connected i was terrified of any other response other than like laughter or silence anything else threw me off even if it was super friendly um and then i took a couple of improv classes at the free association because i was like i need to be more comfortable with the crowd and i think once i've completed the improv curriculum i got much much better at speaking to people at gigs that's weird so you weren't as confident as you are now because you just assume because it's a very natural confidence you just assume are people born like that or do they learn it like (laughs) I think maybe, like, I'm confident in person. I love talking to people, but if it's on stage, that took a lot of learning. And I suggest everybody do an improv class, even if they hate improv as a thing. I did one just because I wanted to know how to do crowd work. And we had a a mad Irish actor. He's still about, still does a class called Seamus Allen. And and if you say to him, oh, I can't improvise, and he goes, well, you're just having a conversation now. This isn't scripted. I think for me it was about just 
filling your head full of enough nonsense so it has fuel to burn when improvising. But also it's just about kind of relaxing yeah. and trusting that it might not be gold, but I'm not going to corpse. Yeah. My brain will come up with something. Exactly. And also I think, I mean, obviously the audience isn't expecting you to have prepared material about the fact that, like, Jared works in accounts. So anything you say is, like, 30% funnier. <laughs> Just because they know you came up with it on the spot. What I find difficult, because I was in an improv troupe, and what I found difficult, I think improv is an amazing discipline to train you to do anything. Just for general confidence, it's good for you in general. I find it really hard as an art in its own right. I found it very confusing, and I got in trouble for throwing out too many non-sequiturs, i.e. I was too blooming silly for an improv troupe, mm-hmm. because I think the problem was I didn't really know what the audience wanted. Mm-hmm. And that, Whereas stand-up is very much like, if they don't laugh, you're doing it wrong. Whereas, did you perform in a troupe? And do you see what I'm saying about the yeah, audience yeah, expectation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And a lot of, like, I think, especially, like, pre- preliminary advice in improv is very counterintuitive for a comic when they're like, don't go for the joke, do the thing that is logical in this situation. I'm just like, why would I want to do that if I know a thing that will make people laugh right now? Um, yeah. I can't, I, I'm by no means a good improviser. I love how this has just, like, suddenly become an advertisement for for improv um yeah i'm by no means a good improviser but i like i recognize why it would be frustrating for a stand-up to do improv for sure well i found the audiences just because it was called improv and they were making up on the spot the audiences were very kind to the improvisers i think and i I think they were too kind and yet i did a 15 minute stand-up set at uh, an improv night and the audience were a bloody nightmare because like comics i think they're held to a much higher standard I mean, as they should be, because they were meant to write all their material beforehand, whereas the others are coming up with it on the spot, right? And also, I think it's like, it's one of those but things... But they're not, though. It's a trick. They've just tricked their brain into thinking like that, and they're doing tropes. It's not really improv, a lot of it. Oh, if that's what you mean. I think, I mean, I think there's a lot in enjoying it in its own right. The same way that I think a lot of people are like, I don't like graphic novels as books and it's like you shouldn't be like you shouldn't be judging graphic novels on the same criteria as you would a regular novel because they're two different art forms so I don't think it's fair to judge stand-up and improv on the same set of criteria right because I just found that the difference between the way they treated the improv troupe and the way they treated me as a comic maybe I just didn't do a good job I mean I will admit that might be the case but I just really interesting the difference in treatment we got from the audience suddenly they were like make me laugh whereas before they were very warm to the improv troupe right I can't say, okay, but genuinely also, I don't know if I've seen a lot of shows that have successfully uh, mixed improv and scripted. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I can think of maybe one night that I saw both at, right? Because I feel, and especially, and if you want the audience to acknowledge each for what it is, you want a very comedy savvy audience that knows which, which one's which. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's the deceit with stand up, though, isn't it? Because if you, the really, 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 good comics you can't tell when what's improvised and what's scripted and yet i think the minute people think we've prepared it it isn't as funny yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, i think yeah there's a lot to say about like a a comedy savvy audience and not because there's still like still if you do stand up there's so many people who'll come up and be like hey did you just come up with that on the spot or people who will see improv and be like there's no way you guys came up with it there you guys uh had it scripted so i think I think it's jarring for an audience, especially if it's not a comedy-savvy audience, to be like, okay, well, this is improvised, and this is how I should be judging this, and this is scripted, and this is how I should be judging this, right? 
I don't know. I, the, the bottom line is, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's weird that because as it came back to what about you, about your thoughts, I can't imagine you just doing one-liners with no really? like. Yeah, it's it's that, that seems really odd. Could, were you just thinking that's what? Cause I I've done a lot of stuff because I thought. I used to wear a suit because that's what comedians do. I used to. Was it? Were you doing what you thought comedians should do? Or I think I was so nervous and so insecure that I. It didn't make sense to me to do anything other than like jokes because I felt like I was wasting people's time. So I was like, okay, well, if you're saying it, it in itself has to be a punchline. Otherwise, there's absolutely no reason for you to be saying it. And I think then I kind of took a step back and realized that like the comics that I like aren't one-liner comics, and like the reason I enjoyed them isn't because of the punchlines per se. So why should I be doing that? But initially, I think it was just like just an insecurity, and it was just like I'm I'm so sorry, I don't want to waste your time. Here are some punchlines. Good day. <laughs> but you must have thought I've got something, and there must have been something that drove you to do it in the first place. A absolute love for attention. B yes, and B absolute love for comedy. Like I obviously I like most comics. I started as a comedy fan, so it's the only thing that I've done in my life that I've been happy to do for a long time consistently, and not gotten paid. <laughs> It's weird, isn't it? Because it's like you don't want. There's, I think there's this thing where if you treat comedy, there's so much that's out of your control. If you treat this as because some comedians they have a five year plan, mm-hmm. and I sort of used to think like that. But I, th- I find that I've been happier and had more fun and got better doing comedy when I've been really short term. It's like let's do five minutes of better yeah. material. Let's yeah. try and get that work. Let's yeah. try find my voice. That kind of thing. Is that how do you look at comedy? Are you a bit more? You're, you're quite you're a bit up the ladder from me. You've, you've won more comps and you're doing uh-huh. an hour, whereas I'm emceeing a, a week worth in Edinburgh. So where, where, how do you view comedy? Do you have goals? or I have not won any competitions, but thank you very much. You're not only oh, firing my bloody researcher. <laughs> Kill the intern. I'm doing finals. Thank you very much. Uh, what should I say? I think the, the thing that you just said about like making short-term goals as opposed to long-term goals, I think that's a great philosophy in life overall. Just because if you're like, I want to be making X amount of money then that is not a, an achievable goal just because you like get too panicked and you get analysis paralysis because you get you have to do so many things to do you don't know what to do it's much easier to have like a tiny short term goal as in like i want to explore this bit and write 5 minutes off of this is a much easier achievable thing and then you could just kind of string together tiny goals again this is tar- starting to sound like a self-help book. Yeah. <laughs> this has worked for me, is all yeah. I can say. Yeah, well, it might work for others. You never know. <laughs> Try it. And if it all goes wrong, don't sue us. Um, <laughs> but cause your current the show, your, the hour-long show, yeah. it's the Edinburgh show, isn't yes. it? You do? It's all about your, your father's escape from Russia and yes. all this very personal stuff about family interwoven with Soviet Russian history. Yes. Have your parents seen it? Uh, my parents lived it. <laughs> So I don't, I don't know if they're going to see it. And if they do see it, they don't speak English, so they won't understand it. Uh, but I'm like, I really would like them to see it. They know I'm doing it, uh, partially because I spent the whole Christmas break photocopying old photos of them. And I just found out so many funny and <laughs> hilarious things. Because we haven't really got time to go into it all, because you'll, you'll miss your train. But I think there's... <laughs> I want to ask something about how how do you... When you're building a show, how do you make something that is fascinating world history, fascinating family history, and yet make it put in enough punchlines without trivialising it too much? Because yeah. this is about your, your, your yeah. flesh and blood, yeah. yet you've still got to tell it to some drunk people and make yeah. them laugh. Yeah. See that, how do you deal with that sort of contradiction? Well, first of all, I'll call you when I find out, because <laughs> I by no means have done it. But I think 
one thing. So back in the day, the way that I started comedy was I did sketch comedy at university, and then I moved to the UK from the US, and I um, realized that I didn't know anybody, so I couldn't start a sketch group, so the only way I could do comedy, my favorite thing in the whole entire world, was to do stand-up. Uh, and um, but like from my sketch comedy days, the, like the only lesson I ever learned. Do I need to stop talking? No. no, no. Okay. The only lesson I, I learned. I'm looking at levels. Don't worry. Uh, was like collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. And again, it isn't only a comedy thing. I think it's everything. Like everywhere, surround yourself with people who know what the fuck they're doing. There's like there's no benefit in doing everything alone if the thing that you're making isn't good, right? So, like, no one's going to see a mediocre show but praise it more because the person did everything alone as opposed to a fantastic show that was a few people. So I have a director, I have a person, uh, I have a producer, I have my agent, I have a person who I write with. So it's like I'm not very greedy with the material itself because, like, I know that my director is better at directing than I am. So I'm happy to outsource it, credit her, Charlie Dinkin, she's incredible. So I think, like, a lot of it is just surrounding yourself with people who know their shit. Olga's army. <laughs> but you have to trust people with your family history and stuff, isn't it? It's interesting. Yes. But yes. I guess if you know their record, I think uh, once you know their track record, yeah. then just by trusting them, that's half the work. Also, done, another right? thing is that, like, every everyone who I'm working with currently saw like the inklings of the show and saw a preview and approached me and said, we want to work on this. And I think that's a really good filter there where you're not reaching out yourself and like kind of begging people as opposed to people who are first and foremost just interested in it. And so then they want to work on what's already yeah. there rather than yes. bend it to their yeah. mold. Yes. Oh, that's fascinating. It'll be interesting how it all develops. Cause I, I quite I like see, I like seeing a preview. Like I like watching that hour then, and then I'll probably see it in Edinburgh and then like, <laughs> I'll, cause I can't promise I might be under a, I might be, <laughs> collapsed under Arthur's seat by day two <laughs> my, my stamina is not great but uh, it's uh, it'll be, I like seeing how a, how a play develops imagine fails so badly and here's 20 minutes of me being like this is what you need to do <laughs> and then it's like the worst show that's ever been made but then at least like, at least with an hour long show you can it's not just you, you can do more than just make them laugh you can have a lull in the middle where it can just be interesting and that's yes. appropriate whereas you couldn't do that in a club set really and you yeah and within I mean if you're thinking about just jokes, again, I am such a green beginner comic that it makes me like it makes me feel gross even saying these broad generalizations. But like, what I've noticed is that if you're doing an hour-long show, you need a through line, you need a narrative to keep people interested because there's only so much, so so long they're willing to watch just jokes for. So I think they are happy with the lull if it's contributing to a narrative that is an hour long. Because like, yeah, because like, as long as it holds their attention, yeah. and then and it can't be. Because um, Izzy Lawrence, a comic I know, was telling me that a lot of comedians are too funny at the top of their Edinburgh Hour, and then the audience are knackered. And mm. it just seems really contradictory. How can they be too funny? <laughs> but it's true, if they spread it out a bit yeah. thinner, yeah. then, uh, oh, awesome. Ah, oh, well, I bet I, you, you might miss yeah? your train. Okay. It's half past, so cool. uh, thanks very much. Did anything interesting? Yeah, I'm sure okay. you did, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I okay. hope I just asked the right stuff. That's Thank you point, very right? much for having me, and um, your night is an incredible night, and everybody should go to it as a performer and or as an audience member. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where can people find you? Oh, Rock and Rollga on Twitter, please. And rockandrollga.com is my website. <laughs> Brilliant. And I'm also 7.15 at Pleasant's This and Edinburgh. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast.
Cheers, Olga, and to Ryan's dog, who uh, started to adorably savage us um, at the beginning of that interview. Well, that's pretty much it for today's record-breaking special podcast. Um, So I I just wanted to tidy up a few loose odds and ends. The next comedy show at my comedy club, the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club. I've just been plugging someone else's venue for this entire show. I'm a terrible businessman. But I run the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club in Reading, up above Smoking Billies, right in the centre of Reading. Our next show is on the 12th of April and features Daniel Audrit as our MC. He's very, very good. He, he went from open micer to full-blown professional very, very quickly just because of his sheer amount of talent. He's also got loads of writing credits as well. And Jay Cowell is a very interesting headliner. I saw his Edinburgh show a few years ago and ever since then I've been wanting to book him. Also, just added to the bill, a rather interesting person known as Mango Stone. It can't be her real name, but but she is very, very funny. Her set reflects upon her childhood living on a giant council estate with her bare-knuckle boxer, Granny. (laughs) She is well worth hearing and very, very funny. So uh, tickets are selling, so get yours sooner rather than later. Go to facebook.com forward slash stand and deliver comedy night. Click on the big blue book now button in the top right of the page. So here's a few highlights from my own gig diary, just in case you would like to come and see me. Uh, If you're amongst the first people to download this episode, then tonight you can still get your train ticket and ticket to Bath to come and see the competition for their comedy festival. It's tonight at 7.30pm at the Westgate. And next weekend, on the 7th of April, Pete K. Malley's tour, Live and Loud, rumbles into the Epsom Playhouse, and I am one of the support acts. Very excited. A couple of weekends ago, we were in Birmingham, and we had an absolutely fantastic time. It's it's a good show. There's a rock band and lots of acts as well, including Sarah Isles. And then on the 19th of April, I'm supporting Darren Walsh at Bear Jokes in London on Leighton Road. And then on the 23rd of April, I'm in the Laughing Horse competition at the Savoy Tup in London in Soho. All information and links to buy tickets and stuff are over at rodders.com, R-H-O-D-D-E-R-S. Just click on the gigs link at the top of the page. Anyway, that's pretty much it for today's podcast. Please write us a review on iTunes. Honestly, two seconds writing a review gets us a lot more ears on the podcast. And and if you're enjoying this podcast, the more reviews I get, the more encouragement I get, and the more likely I am to release more episodes. So the future of this podcast is in your hands. Uh, Right, that's it. I'm really going to go now. Have a good day, evening, or whatever time it is. Uh, From me, Rodders, at Stand and Deliver. Bye!